Thank you for listening to the following films podcast. Today I'm joined by director Adam Ethan Crow to talk about his film Lair. The film is about a man who attempts to prove his friend's claims that he was possessed by a demonic force and overturn his murder conviction. The film is currently available on VOD. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to do this. I really appreciate it. Oh, brother, you have no idea, man. I'm blown away that you even asked, so thank you. <laughs> no, it's a... Well, okay, so the, the first thing I noticed about this film that I just... It immediately made me interested it was sitting right behind you it's the poster for the film because i'm i'm 45 so i'm of that age that i box art means a lot to me going through you know the shelves of the horror section when i was a kid it would be that first image that would sell me on it and i miss hand-drawn paintings you know you see them in kind of the mondo collection and things like that but you don't see it as often as you would think um for the initial release of things can you talk a little bit about your uh, poster design for this and if that was something oh, that meant a lot to you yeah dude it was and i'm with you i remember wandering around the video stores and you'd see this something would pop out and you'd grab it and then nine times out of ten you'd be wrong but I'm just going, <laughs> still a cool poster right so yeah um it was uh i've, I've got his name I, it was a guy on instagram um and he was doing posters and posting and putting up pictures he did some incredible stuff and um I said, look, I'm inspired by, you know, like the 80s, Nightmare on Elm Street, that kind of thing. And I'm looking to do this. And I put a couple of, I, I mean, I, I was going to say I helped design it. For me, it was like matchstick men and there's a head <laughs> and whatever. Yeah. And uh, he put some bits and pieces together and came up with this. And honestly, man, I, I love the image. It was, I was just like, yay, this is, again, you know, harks back to those collections when you like, you know, the box, like the fog. I mean, and so yeah i mean i found a guy on the internet um offered him a few bucks and he did i mean the whole movie i don't know if you know it was going to be a studio film yeah. originally yeah and so we had a couple of million bucks and we were going to make a movie and fox were making it and after four years of trying to get my movie made a studio wanted my movie and <laughs> then a bigger studio wanted that studio and that studio was called Disney and they didn't want my movie and about eight others. <laughs> so I was back to square one again. Right. Um, but with better storyboards. So that was cool because they'd paid for the storyboards. Um, yeah. And so it kind of like uh, you sort of went from this high to this low. And then, so yeah, I, I my, my partner, Shelly had never produced, I'd never directed a feature before and I'd done a few shorts and we were like, let's just put our savings together and, so we can do, and we uh, seventeen of our friends, literally our friends, put in between a thousand bucks and whatever else, and we put together a, probably a budget which is less than some high end, low budget. Sorry, probably it's, it's less than some high end uh, short film budgets. You know, you get these short film budgets. Like sure, that. yeah. Um, and we went out and uh, made our movie. And something was really funny for me was um, when we went to Fright Fest because we got into some great film festivals and. I'll be honest with you, man, like, because we got into like popcorn frights and fright fest and hex after dark and all this. And when we made our film, because it all fell apart and we did it with a tiny budget with friends and whatever, the fact that anybody outside of my immediate friends and family like it is just huge, right? It's just huge. You're going, really? Someone other than my grandma thought it was good? Wow, right? So that was crazy. Um, and I was at Fright Fest and I was chatting to this guy. And uh, American dude, and he had made a movie. 
And we were talking micro budgets. And I was going, yeah, I was a micro budget and we got it done. And we lived on pizza and we did it in 21 days and just went for it. And he's like, yeah, yeah. He goes, we only had like just over a million dollars. I'm going, really? That's, a, a, okay, our micro budget levels are very different. Right? <laughs> very different. It's like, obviously, because he had just got off a plane. I came off the tube, right? Yeah. Very different worlds. And, uh, but yeah, man, we, we, uh, we were lucky, man. We, we had people pitching in, uh, you know, working with Patriots, not mercenaries. And, and we just kind of like put our head down and went, let's just do something fun. And, and it, it doesn't have to be films, man. It can be anything. It can be, you can be in a band or, or whatever. If you get the right people around you and go, let's just do something. And we made our first film. And the fact that 1091 picked it up, we were like, but hang on a minute, a distributor I've actually heard of once I'm moving. <laughs> How does that work? It's like, okay. like, I know their films. I watched what we do in the shadows. I know what they do. Right? Yeah. It's bizarre. And, we, and so it's been, it's been crazy. And we're so lucky. And they've been great. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for what, a few people in a room going, we're not going to let the studios keep us down, I wouldn't be talking to you. So it's pretty awesome. Well, there's the, the one thing that comes out, there's a lot of things, but when you're watching this, it doesn't feel like a micro budget film. And I think maybe it, I assume having that time with the storyboards, you're allowed to be very intentional and purposeful with all what you were shooting. Because um, if you look at like the, the lighting in just after the opening sequence, when you're having this prison, it looks beautiful. It's incredible when it's going through. Um, and you're, the way that your use of darks in this, it's, it's actually, it's really incredible. The black on this, if you're, if anybody's watching this, I've watched this in a completely dark room because it does pay off dividends because the look of this thing is wonderful. And I, I think that it, you, you know that it's a small budget film, but it never feels like a small budget film. So that is a huge compliment. And, and that's blown me away because what we did try to do, well, I tried to do, we, we shot it in 21 days. We got it done, and my DP Stuart is a fan. He's a friend. He's also a co-producer on the movie because it literally was, you know, hey, you've got a camera, you can DP and you can co-produce, <laughs> and I'll direct and write it and get coffee, and the gaffer can be the spark, and you know whatever. So we did it like that. And um, one thing Stuart did was he shot it in six K, and he made sure that when um, we went into post production, we you know we shot it we shot it um, uh, native, so we had the the range once we got into the blacks to yep. to you know, have more in post-production. Uh, the only problem was, have you heard of COVID? Apparently it's some kind of- <laughs> It's a thing know. somewhere. I've heard a little bit about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I think I saw a meme. So we literally finished the day before we went into lockdown over here. And because we'd shot in 6K and not really thought about it, we had files the size of Noah's Ark, right? So nobody I knew at home and all the studios, all the, all the post-production houses were closed and no one I knew at home had the bandwidth to edit on 6K without their computer exploding. You know, all, you know, so it was terrible. So yeah, so we basically had to wait until COVID, which was beginning of this year. We managed to get into um, a company called The Ark, who is a friend of mine works there. So again, more favors. Um, and we went in there and we, we uh, he had a, uh, um, uh, a buddy who was great with the grading and the coloring. And so we, we shot it so he could get as much information it's like gathering nuts for the winter. We got everything we could and then got it to the post. And we went, okay, now we can really work on trying to make it look good. Uh, we had a few mishaps where there were certain things like when we shot night for day, um, mm -hmm. we had like light coming in the window in certain ways. And we were like, because someone had told me this. And again, it's my first feature film, so don't punch me. But hey, yeah, someone said to me, oh, well, it's a bit of light coming in there. We'll just get into the gray and we'll put a shape over it and we'll bring it down. It will look fine. No, 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 no. It was daylight. You, you got that's that's 
Yeah, that's a VFX shot. Uh, and when you've got no money, a VFX shot is, yeah. And so yeah, I learned a lot, um, which is great. Um, but no, it means a lot that, that it looks, I mean, we had, yeah, we, we, like I said, it, was, it was a hard thing to do because we'd come from literally at Fox, we had millions of dollars and we were yeah. talking about set builds and things like that. And now we're going, set builds? Okay, there's an Airbnb I know. And we literally did. And, and we couldn't even afford to say in certain areas, Airbnb, like the main apartment, for instance, when you mm -hmm. look out the window, there's a London Eye. Uh, a buddy of mine um, uh, did that VFX. We, we basically, he cut that in. That's, that's not London. That's not central London. We shot in the outskirts of London. Outside that apartment was a tree and a busy road, right? And um, George basically cut in the, well, Stuart, my DP, went to the top of a church in central London, which is the view we see with the London Eye, and filmed there and grabbed the footage. And then George dropped it in over the windows using green screen um to make it look like it was in central london and when you are outside and you see the outside of the building and it looks like yeah we're in chelsea we're in london it's all great yeah well, that was that and then the moment they go through the door we went to another part of london you know the cool sort of parisian open elevator mm -hmm. that's yeah. somewhere else the corridors when they're crossing that's a, so like we couldn't afford to shoot in one location so we were grabbing locations in places and cutting them together to make them look so if it looked like they were going through the front door up in the lift into the into the apartment, it does. then we achieved it. Yes, then we did Absolutely. good. Absolutely. Well, it's, it, it, it's not something that draws attention to itself. And I guess you could file that under, it's something that would actually work for the film if somebody goes back and rewatches this and starts to feel like, wait, the geography doesn't make perfect sense in here. You end up right. in that shining territory. We say, no, no, that's by design. That's something we, we want this oh, to have. That. To it's that. completely there. So good yeah. on you for picking up on it. So, but you, you did touch on something that I wasn't sure if I was going to bring up or not because it, I wasn't sure if it was just me, but the score for the film and the opening of it, it feels reminiscent slightly because of the little piano that's in it to nightmare on elm street the opening score to that it feels like there's a little homage to that is that was that just me or is that something that you're playing with how do i not know you socially dude the poster the score it's all yeah it was a it was they were both an homage to nightmare on elm street we used to okay. sing color palette as nightmare on elm street and that was something we insisted on and yeah it was because for me, coming up, my favorite movies were Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, Thanks. you know, obviously you, you got the classic, like, um, you know, when, when you watch movies, like I was also into anything John Carpenter, basically. Um, so, yep. you know, watching, you know, The Thing and um, obviously uh, The Exorcist. And, but Nightmare on Elm Street, um, for me, was the first real horror film that made me freak a little bit. I, I mean, I've been scared of movies. I'll give you an example. I saw Nightmare on Elm Street. And you know the scene where um, uh, Freddie leans through the wall like he's made of sure. rubber? Yeah, 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 yeah. I saw the movie, went home, and I tapped on my wall over my... I'm not joking. Before yeah. I went to bed, I tapped on my wall to make sure it was solid, right? And for me, it was the first time as well with Freddie because he was funny and silly. And in our movie, our Caramore, our main evil guy, I wanted him to be someone who had a few quick lines, someone who you'd probably have a beer with. He's a dick, but he's kind of amusing, right? Yeah. Because in these sort of films, I'm surprised. I'm, dude, honestly, you were the first person to pick up on that. And I've had <laughs> a lot of And because I thought, you know, most of the guys who do this, they're always like in the shadows going, oh, I'm evil. I Just don't talk to me. I'm going to look away. I'm being evil, right? 
And, and I was like, why not make this dude he's just a bit of a dick, but <laughs> he's, he's, got, he's got this dark heart to him, man. And um, yeah, yes, yeah, so that's where it kind of came from. Uh, yeah. Well, it's, it's one of those things when I, it, I think it's because we have similar reference points. We're close enough in age, similar thing where as I've watched more movies, I could say, okay, there's elements that feel like a hammer horror film, something from the sixties, but really um, that's something I came into much later in life when I started going back and finding those films. So I think we probably just have similar reference Mm. points for it. And having this guy, you quickly establish who he is. Um, I think it's probably the line about the rock having followers, something like that. It's, it's a little quip and you're like, okay, this is who this guy is. And I love this idea of this grifter who accidentally finds some, his way into something really nefarious that he just accidentally uncovers this. Um, could you just talk a little bit about where the idea for this story came from? Cause that's totally separate from Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street. That's something very original in that way. Yeah. Well, the original story for me was, uh, that I think the, the, the classic idea of a filmmaker is you, you try and make a movie you want to see. Um, mm. And for me, like I said, I, I, I watch a lot of horror movies. I watch a lot of all movies. I love all movies. But I always wanted to see, like, I, I thought the first Conjuring was the best one, and I really enjoyed that movie. And, in fact, we've had a few references where people have said it's Conjuring vibe to ours one, but that's... Um, but anyway, and I always wanted to see the movie where someone spent a couple of nights in the room the Warrens kept all the evil shit in, mm-hmm. right? And I thought, I'd like to see that. Now, imagine you're in that room and you don't know they're scary. You don't know they're possessed. And you spend a couple of nights in that. So that was the premise. And the idea was this guy's got an apartment. He's got a friend who's saying I was possessed and killed someone. And he's going, well, we've got this, all these evil things supposed to be evil knickknacks laying around. Why don't we stick them in my dad's old apartment and rent it out and see if any of them take? Because <laughs> it's, like, it's like when people go, hey, do you want to go to party? You go, not really, but why not? We've got a car. And so he starts off like that. And then later yeah. on when evil goes crazy, he goes, but if we, if we keep going, we might get a book deal. You know, mm. now he's seeing the dollar signs. Maybe something's happened. And so that's kind of where it came from. I thought, wouldn't it be cool if The Conjuring literally had someone break into the apartment, maybe, and they don't know they're surrounded by evil stuff, and they go about their day, and evil kicks off. And so that was kind of the inspiration that got me thinking about it. So, and yeah. It's almost as if the Warrens, um, it's a more honest portrayal of them for the hucksters that they were. Where it's yeah. like, but they accidentally uncovered this thing. And I, I really like that, that it's not, the, the tongue in this film is securely in the cheek. This is not something yeah. that, and in that way, it can, the scares when they come along, I feel like you're not expecting it as much as uh, you would in a film like The Conjuring, where it actually hits you a little bit because you're um, not expecting it in the same way. And so I think that it's pretty impactful and it works on that level that if you're looking for something like that, um, the actual performances carry a lot here and it's just fun to Thank watch. You. There's a lot more fun and the more self-serious horror that you see often in those. It types. was supposed to just be fun. I mean, like I said, yeah. when, you, when you're making um, like a low budget horror movie, you kind of go, let's, let's have some fun with it. Let's see what we can do. Uh, and we got, and again, we wanted, one thing I wanted to do was because obviously part of this, there's a degree of found footage, but the found footage is always on a screen in a room. We're not just watching mm-hmm a locked off camera that's all snowy and, and dodgy and someone steps in. And so my big thing, again, as a horror fan, I want to see the horror. I want to see the gore. I want to see things happen. I don't want to be crazy, but I want I don't want a, a locked off camera. So for one, the scene, I think, I don't know if you remember, but there's a scene where the police are watching the monitor with the girl on it yeah. and the camera 
goes through the, the screen into the room and then everything's shot cinematically. Um, because when you're gonna kill people, I wanted people, the audience to see the effects because a friend of mine, George Petkoff, who did the, the special effects, um, uh, is amazing. I mean, he's done these huge movies and again, he worked for us for Smiles and Cuddles, but um, you know, <laughs> what are you gonna do, right? Um, so, although although we've got another film, hopefully, that we may have funded that we shoot in February and we can pay everybody properly. And that's the beauty of things. Excellent. Call in favours once. And then the next time, everyone gets paid properly. Yep. Um, and so we wanted to show off the work. And also... Like Today's episode of the Following Films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. Normally, when I do these spots talking about Bookman's, I'll mention something that I'm going down to, there to purchase, uh, be it a movie or a book or even a puzzle or you know houseware of some kind, something like that that I'm looking for. Uh, but today, um, went down to Bookman's to trade in a sound bar, a speaker bar. I was sent one to review, and after I spent a couple days using it, um, I already have two sound bars in the house, uh, two speaker bars. And so this is something that I just don't need an extra one. So I'm going to go ahead and return this, brought it down earlier. was able to get some trade and now I'll be able to turn this, what would have just been more clutter in my garage. I'm able to turn this into a couple of movies, books, and a puzzle for my wife, something that will actually be used as opposed to just taking up extra space. And that's something that most of us have some clutter in our home, something that um, isn't going to get used again, something that's just taking up space and why not take in those things that you're not using, trade them in and get something you'll appreciate because there's somebody else that that thing that's junk in your garage, that's something that could be exactly what they're looking for. So yeah, recycle something and get yourself something new at the same time. And as always, Bookman's has your cool covered. Enjoy the rest of the show. Like with the creature and things. So the creature a friend of mine, a guy called Tristan Vasellis, um, was my DIT operator on my very first short film. And then he moved into SFX, designing blood effects and monsters and things. And I was like, dude, I need a monster. You make monsters? Yeah, I make monsters, cool. So he goes, I can give you seven days, but that's all I can do because I've got to go. And I was like, cool. So he came over and did the blood works and designed a monster and all this kind of thing. And then he was leaving. I was like, cool, why are you going to the States? And he goes, oh, uh, I just got nominated for an Oscar. I was like, sorry? What? What? Yeah, I was like, yeah. He goes, and he got nominated for an Oscar for 1917, um, yeah. a war movie. Yeah, mm -hmm. and he literally flew. So, got nominated for an Oscar. You know, uh, um, same as George. George was working on uh, the last Star Wars, and he put in some time on ours for a bit. And that's something. I mean, with Corey, Corey was in one of my short films years ago, and that's a long story. But and we became friends since then. And so, when we were casting, we didn't have a lot of room casting, and he was like, "This looks fun. I, I want to be part of it." And I was like, oh, we need someone else to play this Dollarhide character, which mm -hmm. well, you probably picked up on. Dollarhide was obviously in Red Dragon. He was in the yep. inside game, a little nuts. And um, he goes, oh, what about Oded Fair? I'm like, you mean Oded Fair is in The Mummy, all the Resident Evils? Yeah. You mean the current Admiral in Star Trek Discovery, who's in Canada? And I know that because I watched the show. Yeah. So he got into him. Oded was like, I've got five days. I'll, I'll come out. And we were like, okay. And we, we were like, we can't afford first class, bro. It's like, cool. So he came out. He stayed on Corey's couch for three days, shot part of our movie and went back. And you're going, who are these people? But 
but it shows you though if you get a group of people together and they're all passionate and they go you know let's just do it man yeah and there are people at a certain i mean corey's got a new movie corey's in Morbius, which is just coming out right yep yeah yeah and, and he's got finally. A role in it. finally yeah i know right and you kind of go and, and he's down working with us and also helping unload the van when we needed him to so it's you know you get these people and you kind of go oh it's you know movie stars Hollywood you go no not really it's it's storytellers tell yeah. me a good story you know and and sometimes you, you and someone uh, was telling me this a uh, uh, quite a famous director said to me said it's storytelling and all you want is a good story told well and sometimes it's on an iPhone sometimes it's black and white or it's 3D or a musical just tell me a story and we were like we've lost millions of dollars we've got this small bag of money. Let's try and tell our story. And, and if it came across that we did that, then that's amazing. And, and not just me. And I don't know if you, on my short films, I did that thing which most short filmmakers do. They go, an Adam Ethan Crow film. You go, oh, yeah, it's my film. Yeah, the, yours, I, it was, you, you set yours up as the, the group, the collective, as opposed to the individual. Because yeah, I, got, I got an education in humility. Because I'd made a short film and I was like, yeah, I've made a short film, three days. Whoa, I got a bit damp. It was terrible, right? <laughs> and, and then we started, this was 21 days with one camera and no money. And you kind of look at it and everybody on that crew, everybody. And by the way, everybody got paid the same. Everyone got paid for making Everybody oh, from the runner wow. to the HOD got paid. Not their normal rate, but the HOD got paid the same as the runner. The actors got the same as the HOD. Honestly, That's fantastic. No Everybody got paid. And on the next one, everyone gets paid their full rates, the ones that want to come and work with us because we'll have money for that one. And we did it that way. And, and so when we did this one, it was important to me. And it will be the same on every movie I ever do. It, we put it, when it fades in, it says a film by, and then yep. it says a family of filmmakers. Because the auteur theory that I thought was bang on, I don't get it. Because unless you're getting coffee, setting up lights, writing, directing, producing, Everybody plays a part, man. And, and on that film, you know, people were, were there till we were done, you know, sharing the pizza, you know, helping pack the van. You know, when you've got a makeup girl carrying a 4K lap to a truck, you kind of go, <laughs> yeah, that's not normal. Yeah. So, so, yeah, and, and it was a lesson in humility and also in, in uh, camaraderie, man, because everybody did it. And the weird thing was, we our last day was just for COVID, and then we had to sit it in a drawer because we couldn't get it post production done. We got post production done, and uh, we got into some film festivals, some great ones, you know, like Fright Fest and Macabro and Popcorn Frights and and Hex After Dark and all this as well. And I was going, wow, wow, wow! But we couldn't travel because of COVID, so we all we'd ever seen it, we'd never seen it on a big screen. And so, and half of these people were were off doing other things. I mean, you know, our makeup who was a makeup girl at the time is now working on um, at the new Aquaman, you know, the DIT guy on this, Isaac yeah. is now doing DIT on the prequel to game of Thrones. Sure. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> and, and we all got together a little while ago. We managed to get like a 50 seat of cinema for cast and crew. We all got to watch it together after seeing not a lot of these people for maybe two years. And most of them became real friends and we talk and whatever, but COVID and um, you know, which I'm, I'm, Maybe a bit glib, but COVID's kind of a blessing in disguise because you can also go, sorry, I was late, COVID. Oh, I dropped my milk, COVID. <laughs> my girlfriend dropped me, COVID. I know my hair looks bad, but COVID, right? What do you want, right? But so, but we all got together in the cinema and, and we watched it and fell in love with it again. And all of us, we all, because 
you know, there were people that hadn't seen what they'd done. The, the, the yeah. input, the impact they had had, they, they couldn't see it. And so we sat there and uh, it was so amazing, bro. And then we all sort of drunk too much and, and hugged far too much. And, but it was, it was amazing. And so that's why my films moving forward will be by a family of filmmakers. And if I'm making a Marvel movie and the people turn up on that set and they're not cool, we're fine, cool people. Yeah. Because I, I don't, you know, this is my job. I've worked in factories. I used to have a job where I worked in a, in a pizza hut where I, my day was living in a basement opening huge tins of sauce, right? Yeah. If I get to turn up on set, if I get to talk to people like you, if I get to, and that's my job, that's pretty cool, right? Life's too short to work with assholes. That's I'm, the- I'm going to take that and put it on a t-shirt. I need that. <laughs> and Because and, honestly, if I can just, Pay my rent and work with people I like. That's all I need. Um, although you say about the assholes thing, someone said to me, because our crew were awesome. Everyone was really good. And someone said to me once, they said, um, dude, there's always an asshole in every film. I was like, dude, our crew was great. And they were like, no, no, no. If you don't know who the asshole was, it was probably you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thanks, man. So, yeah. But no, I it's true. Want, that- I do want to point out one thing, though. Yeah. Um, that because we're running short on time, but I think it's important to note that a lot of times when you have films that were made by a collective and you have people that are doing multiple jobs, it's kind of falls into the Ed Wood category of everybody putting on a show. And it's just like, we're having fun, that energy. And that energy doesn't necessarily translate into a great film, but there's this energy that you can feel. Now yours is that rare thing where you have that, let's put on a show energy that turns into a product to a final product. That's actually something that's pretty remarkable, especially when you consider everything around it and all the obstacles you had to overcome in that way. And that it's people that really deserve that are incredibly talented working at the top of their game for the bottom of their pay. And that passion is what comes through here. And you can feel it, I think, in every frame of the film. That, that means so much, not just to me, but to everyone. And I'll tell you for yeah. why, because, you know, it wasn't even the bottom of their play. It was like, <laughs> but but it, really, it really does, because I think it's like anything. You know, when a kid does a picture and puts it on the fridge and you go, that's, that's what I did. And you go, yeah. well, it's not a painting, but they're seven. What do you want? You know what I mean? And we yeah. had people at such a level who were leaning into what we were trying to do. And we're going way beyond. We got, a, like with the VFX, like it was George, we had this guy, JK, who was literally just, you know, we had like three or four people trying to help out. When we were in post-production, that's when we were trying to get the VFX done. And so we were hitting up certain people who were, they'd go, right, well, I can do the shutters. Well, I haven't got time to do the shutters, but uh, I know someone who can help you with the, with the door and the monster or whatever. And everyone genuinely was doing that. And I found such a, you know, like when you, one of my favorite films is Clerks. And you look at things that Love it. Kevin's yeah. and yeah, people like that did. And you know, like the fact that they decided to make out that the the blinds were, you know, jammed with chewing gum because they were screwed and they couldn't open and sort of shoot at night. Whatever. And it's such a cliche that people go, oh well, you know, if you've got less money, you'll be inventive and you'll do better. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but in this case, it wasn't just being inventive, it really was the people that were involved in it. Um, and I've got not a bad word to say about anyone because I, I, we sit there and we watch it and we've got a screening coming up on, in, in a theatre on the next Monday. Um, and we've got, uh, it's 150 seats, so not huge. But it's our UK premiere, mm-hmm. I think Fright Fest, obviously, it's our UK premiere. And it's, you can buy ordinary tickets for ordinary people to come and see it. I say ordinary, but um, I mean punters, not just crew and stuff. Right. And we've got, we've got a lot of crew going down, probably about 20 people, 30 people, maybe more. 
but we sold 150 tickets in five days, two weeks before our screening. And we were like, that's, ordinary, that's people who don't know us going, this looks like it might be fun. And, yeah. and again, you know, the fact that you picked up on so many of those things, that, that's really cool for me. Um, and, and to hear that you enjoyed what we all did, I'm gonna tell everybody anyway, you know, the crew will love it. My producer will love it because Shelly's brilliant, man. She's my actual, my girlfriend as well, her first producing. And there's a scene with rain in it. And we were, wanted a rain machine. And it was like, Shelly was like, we don't have any money. A rain machine is like 2,000 pounds. I was like, but we need it for the scene. We got to, it's got to have rain, the running in the rain. And she was like, I will stand at the end of the street with a garden hose with my thumb on it, making it rain for you. <laughs> uh, but instead she went back <laughs> to the rain people and went, look, we don't have the money you want. And this is a true story. And they went, look, we've got another job we're doing. Whatever rain is left, you know, in the tank, because obviously you're paying for this big water yeah. tank. We maybe have some left over, and we ended up getting the water and 20 minutes of rain for about 600 pounds. Amazing. So was, That's a great producer. Gone, gone, right? That is a great producer. Yeah. You can have whatever's left in the tank if you want to pay for the delivery fee. And if there's not enough, we'll just go home and you can Perfect. pay the 100 bucks for us to open up. And that's how we made our rain scene. It literally was that. So I'm, I'm blown away that you liked it. I'm blown away even more that you got the references. That's so cool. This is going to be one of those that connects with people. I, I honestly feel that there's this speaks to so many things that made me a fan of genre films and what led to me being a fan of films in general. It's just genre was my initial gateway and something I still love to this day, but it's beyond that. I think this movie will connect with people that aren't necessarily genre fans or just looking for something fun because this movie is absolutely fun. And it's, we need more fun right now. Oh, so right. So right. And I love the idea about genre. Think about genre, I think as well. And the same with comedy. There's an immediate yeah. reaction. It's funny. You laugh. If it's scary, you jump. And that's, I mean, I love a good thriller, but a thriller you'll talk about a couple of weeks later in a pub, maybe. But with scary films and funny films, you go, boom. And I like that immediate reaction. And some people thought we were trying to, you know, have a message because obviously it's an all-female family. Right. But even that wasn't the plan. What it was, this is 2019, when uh, uh, people were trying to be more diverse. The, the conversation was coming, was beginning then. But when we went out to casting, we were like, just a 16-year-old kid could be Joey, could be Josephine or Joe. And we literally cast boys as well. And the best person on the role get. Same with Carly. Carly could be Carl or Carly. Yeah. And it was a mother starting a new relationship. But because it's, there's no, so why couldn't it be a woman? Why couldn't it be a man? And so even then, 40% of our HODs were female. Well, they identify as female, not because we were trying to do that. It was just the best person on the day got the job. And I think now the way it's happening in the industry now is so exciting because it is opening up more. Yep. Um, same as like with, um, when we cast our, um, our gay pride scene, we went out to an LGBTQ extras agency, partly because we knew, or they said, a lot of them have already got costumes. We're like, great, let's do this. But we shot that in November, by the way. It was like minus six. And these people were awesome. They're like in feather boas and crop tops. And they're yeah. hey, and freezing, brother. And we're going, pretend it's summer. And you just want to run over and go, look, I'm so sorry about this, but thank you. So, so, you know, it's like anything. Again, we, we tried to do something. I mean, the guy that plays Ola, Kashif, he, he, was, he was helping move lights. And we had someone cast in that role. And the agent, all of a sudden, two days before we started filming, was like, well, we agreed the fee. And I know it's not a lot of money, but um, we had also like a car service for him. And we would like a private dressing room. We're going, we ain't got that. We, just, we, we don't have that. And he said, well, we might have to pull our client. And they didn't seem to understand that 
like with you and me, if you want this glass of water, great. If you want two, I can't help you. I have one glass of water, right? Yeah. And so we, we called their bluff and they pulled their guy and Kashif was reading lines with Corey. And Corey was like, I could work with this. And so Corey ended up, he'd never acted before. You know, a awesome. little girl never acted in a movie before. It doesn't like, show though. It, like like so like so many things on this film you, you those scenes the the things that are there that are the obstacles the things that held you back possibly they don't come through and i and i and i this is a film that i highly recommend to people um if you're in the mood for something fun throwback horror film but something that does have a modern sensibility to it I think you could do a lot worse than this one. So I, I highly recommend it. So I'm, and I, I got to find, are you on social media? Uh, Cause I, yeah, I yeah. I'm on, I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook and I'm on Twitter. I'm um, going to find you. I got to connect with you, man. Cause I, I got to see what I want to make sure I find, I don't want to miss whatever's coming next. Cause I'm a fan. Well, look, dude, I, that, that means the world to me and do so because I'll tell you something else as well. Um, through working with 1091 and working with the other people, the biggest thing that happened for me out of all of this is uh, Michael Grace obviously wrote Poltergeist, the original mm -hmm. Poltergeist, and produced Sleepwalkers and a few other Stephen King. He saw our movie and he sent me an email, which I thought was a joke from a friend or something, yeah. saying, your movie fucking scared me or whatever, and I'm a fan. And we've had a few Zooms because I didn't believe it was him. And it, it looks like we might be doing a movie together, which is insane. It's just Congrats, genuinely man. just like insane. He also did Hard to Kill, with Steven Seagal, which I, I was like, dude, yeah, I remember that. Um, I, so I cool. saw that in a theater, weirdly enough. I, I, I completely right? remember that movie, yeah. I, but you would never go, the guy that wrote Poltergeist wrote this? Wow, okay. <laughs> no. Uh, and, and so we're doing that. So, but it looks like we, we've got a project that I'm going to be doing with 1091, which we should, if things go as they should, um, in February next year for Halloween called um, Bone Harvest. Nice. So we've got a scary movie. And we've got a budget. Like, we don't need pizza this time. There'll be people <laughs> with catering and everything, man. It's going to be awesome. So well, it's, that's, that's really exciting. Bone harvest. I'm, I'm putting that on my list. I'm going to hold you accountable to that. I want to be able to see that. And uh, I hope we get to connect again about that one. Oh, man, we're going to talk about that and more. But hit me up and, and let's stay in touch. And genuinely, man, it's been – you picked up some things that no one else had, and that's a fact. And we've had a few oh, interviews. fantastic. And, and – that only not only shows that you you you've got education behind you, but it also shows that you know you got out of the movie what we're trying to put out there. So yeah, you're right. It's just a fun movie, and we hope people really enjoy it. Well, it landed for this one viewer at the very least. So I think you're you're gonna <laughs> find your way, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Honestly, no shit, man. You made my day. It's been cool. Thank you. <laughs> Same. The feelings mutual. Thank you so much, man. It was a pleasure to meet you. All right. Have Take a great day. I'll talk to you. Right. Bye. Take care. Bye bye. That was awesome. <laughs> Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down. Wish me luck, give me hope.
Crack.